0: Good evening. It is certainly a blessing to be here and uh, thankful for your presence. Uh, we've had wonderful attendance at our evening services and uh, continue to look forward to the remainder of the week that we have together. Uh, we are continuing in our series, uh, God is Faithful, and we're taking that from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 9. I've had a few of the young people come up and quote that for me. Uh, we'll give a shout out to the Fisher House. Um, those young ladies are working on it. Um, so they can take pride in that. So you other houses, as you have opportunity, before I come to you, you can come to me um, and quote that passage for me, and and I'll check you off of the list. But 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we talked about Sunday morning as Paul is going to make an appeal to the church uh, at Corinth about the issues and problems. He starts out with this statement that God is faithful. And we've examined and looked at God is faithful by his very nature. Uh, It's not just that God performs faithful acts, but God in the essence of who he is, is faithful. God cannot lie. Okay, that's one of the eternal truths that we know about God. So when God makes a statement that something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Okay, Uh, we talked about that God is not man. And we covered that on Sunday morning. Tonight, we're going to go into another aspect of God's faithfulness, and and we're going to start really making a connection to us. And we're going to examine this evening how God is faithful in our brokenness. Okay? And I want you to understand a truth tonight. All of us are broken. All of us are flawed human beings. But I do want to tell you this, in Christ we can be changed. In Christ we can find healing and in Christ he can make those broken lives into something glorious for his purpose and his kingdom as we discussed last night. So wherever you stand in your relationship with God, by the end of the message this evening you're going to have an opportunity. To acknowledge your brokenness and understand that there's but one source that you can go to to find healing. Now, what am I talking about when I say that we're broken? I want you to think about the creation of God. In the very beginning, everything God made was good. And every day in the creation that God completed His work, at the end of that day, what did He say about His creation? It is good. And on the sixth day, after he had created the beast of the field, and, and then he looked down and he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, what did he say about that? He said, It is very good. You see, what God had created pleased him, and there was no imperfection in it. It was exactly as he had intended for it to be. But what happened? He gave man very simple commands take care of the garden, tend to the garden. And don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? The serpent came and and tricked Eve or beguiled Eve or deceived Eve, however you want to say it. And ultimately, Eve gave in. And what did she do? She ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and gave it to Adam with her. And he ate. And what do we find? From that point on, guess what we observe? We observe a broken creation a perfect creation that God had made broken because of sin. Now, tonight, you may feel broken, and I want to tell you, you may feel broken because of the decisions of other people, the sins of others. You may feel broken because of circumstances of life. You may feel broken because of tragic uh, things that have happened to you in your life. Whatever it is that's causing that feeling or emotion of brokenness, only one person can fix that. And I want to tell you, it's not you. And it's not a doctor. It's not a psychologist. It's not a psychiatrist. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. But our Lord can heal your brokenness. And in that brokenness, he can create something Brand new. I want you to think about tonight. Who can God use in His kingdom? We talked about His kingdom last night, the church that He established through prophecy in the Old Testament and then Jesus building that church in the New Testament and how we can all be a part of the kingdom of God. But real quick, throughout the Bible, look at who God has used. Abraham was old, and guess what? He used Him. Joseph was prideful. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Jeremiah was a very young man when called by God. Jacob was a cheater and a deceiver. David was an adulterous murderer. Jonah was a rebel. Peter was a denier of the Messiah. The disciples were weak in their faith. And Paul was a persecutor of God's people. And when we think about these people, the first thing we think of aren't these things, are they? When we think of Abraham, do we think of him just as an old man? Or do we think of him as the father of the faithful? You answer that. I think we say, Father Abraham had many sons. We don't call him old man Abraham had many sons. We say, Father Abraham, because he was faithful. And he was the father of that nation. We don't think of Joseph as prideful. We think of Joseph as enduring, enduring circumstances that were beyond his control and being faithful to God and God's plan. We don't think of Paul as Saul of Tarsus and the persecutor of God's people. We think of him as the writer of most of the letters in the New Testament that you and I reverence today as holy, inspired scripture, right? But I want to tell you, when we think about our life, all of us have something... That would cause God to look at it and us to look at it and say, I can't be used by a holy, righteous, and perfect God. And I want to tell you, you can't be farther from the truth. Because look at who God has used from the beginning of time. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Have you ever had a broken heart? And teenage boys, I'm not talking about because the girl you wanted to sit by tonight wouldn't sit by you. I know you're broken hearted. I get it. That's not the kind of broken heart I'm talking about. I'm talking about have you emotionally been spent through circumstances, tragedy, suffering, illness, financial loss, relationships that have been broken. Maybe your own lack of faith or questioning of your purpose and and why you're here on this earth. All of those questions can cause us to be broken hearted. I want to tell you, it's okay to be broken hearted because guess what? That's who God is closest to. Because our Lord is tender hearted. Our Lord is merciful. Our Lord looks for those who need healing. And I'm reminded of Jesus in the first century as he walked on this earth. He didn't go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees looking to heal them because they didn't think they had any issues to be healed of. And he told them that the whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I want to tell you, if Jesus came to heal the sick, guess what? I'm sick. I have sin. I've been broken. And I need Jesus because he's the only one that can fix that. I can try and I can put on a good show. But if I don't have a heart that truly is broken and that only God is allowed to enter into to mend and make whole then I'm deceiving myself. And I think we had a lesson about that earlier this week in our morning devotionals about deceiving ourselves. The psalmist also said in Psalm 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I want to tell you, there's about a three-year span of my life that is very dark. That it's hard for me to remember details of. Because I went through something that was very unpleasant. I lost someone very dear to me at an age that was very pivotal in my life. And and I tell you, at 43 years old, I look back to that three-year span in my life, and there's a lot of fogginess because there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of lack of understanding. There was a lot of doubts. There was a lot of questions. There was a lot of just uncertainty and turmoil in my life. And I'm telling you that because I bet some of you are in that place tonight. And I want you to understand something. It wasn't until I recognized and accepted and knew who Jesus was that my eyes started to open to the truth. That my life... Didn't have to stay broken. But I had a Lord who saw me in that broken state, in that depression, in that darkness, and guess what he offered? He offered life. And he was tender hearted toward me because my heart was truly broken. And maybe that's you tonight. If it is, by the end of the sermon, I want you to reach out. For this tender hearted Savior who's here to mend those who are broken. But you know what that takes? That takes an acknowledgement that we're broken. And sometimes our pride gets in the way of that, doesn't it? Because we look at these teenage boys up here on this front row and, and back here and say, guess what? They don't have any problems. We don't want to talk about things that actually make us feel things. Why? We just want to shove that down. I want to tell you, Jesus is longing for you to open up to him. You don't have to open up to me. But I want to tell you, open up to Jesus. Because he knows what you're dealing with before you even say a word. And all he wants is an opportunity to show you how powerful he is. But you got to open your life to him. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You guys that were here this morning, what did Ethan talk to us about? You ever worry? And what did he say? Well, the instruction in Philippians 4, don't worry. Well, okay, thanks. <laughs> But then he went into actually looking at the rest of that passage It said what? You pray to God for all supplication and with thanksgiving. And you're thankful for your blessings and that changes the way you see your life and the perspective. And here 1 Peter reiterates that idea. You're anxious. You have issues. You have problems. You have things in life you want help with. Cast your anxieties on him. Trust him. He's faithful. He can handle it. You can't. But he can and he will. I want to tell you, there are some statements that are very popular as we consider God's people. One of them is, we are all broken people. I want to tell you that's true. Jesus redeems us in or out of our brokenness. True. God loves us in our brokenness. You know, the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we must acknowledge our brokenness. Now, all these things are true, but I want to give you a warning tonight. Don't wear these statements as a badge of pride. And here's why. Why? If we come to the Lord broken and we stay broken, then what has the Lord done? See, the whole point of coming to the Lord in a state of brokenness is that we can be healed. And that's not so we can walk around arrogantly uh, prideful and say, oh, look what I've done. Look at me. I'm healed now. No, it's to give glory to God. That he can heal the brokenhearted, and we can be testimonies of that to this world. And I want to tell you whether whether the world understands or accepts or knows or not, they need the healing of Jesus Christ. And whose job is it to show them that? It's ours. And we're not going to be able to reach them and show that to them unless we're willing to share the reality of what the Lord has done in us. That he has taken us in our brokenness and loved us, but then he has redeemed us and made us whole. That's what people need to hear. That's what they need to see. And too often we wear that brokenness as a prideful badge because guess what? Brokenness creates a lot of sympathy. But you don't go to the doctor and stay sick. You go to the doctor to get well. And Jesus is that great physician. Now I want you to think about this interaction that Jesus had with this woman that was taken in the very act of adultery. Now, sometimes we're kind of careful of how we describe this. I want you to understand this woman was sleeping with another man's, another woman's husband. And they were in the very act, that intimate act together. And guess what? Religious people, leaders, took them out of that very act and brought her in front of Jesus and said, Lord, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. What do we do? What did Jesus say? At first, he didn't say anything, did he? He just wrote in the sand or drew in the sand. We don't know what he said. We don't know what he wrote. But then when he did speak, what did he say? Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah, the law of Moses said they should be stoned. But Jesus said, whoever of you that brought her to me that doesn't have sin right now, you go ahead and cast that stone. Now, Jesus, I don't believe, was speaking in the broad sense that he knew all of them were guilty of of some type of sin. I think he was talking about a very specific sin that they had violated by bringing that woman to him. Because the law of Moses stated what? That if two people were caught in the act of adultery... Both the man and the woman were to be stoned. Where was the man? He wasn't in front of Jesus. They didn't bring him to Jesus for Jesus to make a judgment upon him. They just brought the woman. Now, could Jesus have condemned this woman? He could have. He's the son of God. But instead, he told them, hey... If you are not with sin, you cast the first stone. All of them went away, and then Jesus is left with this woman. I want you to understand how tender Jesus is to this woman. Is this woman vulnerable right now? Because what does she fully expect to happen? She fully expects to be an outcast and possibly lose her life because of what she was taking. Understand the seriousness of this sin. And now she's in front of Jesus, and Jesus raises himself up, saw no one but the woman, and he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Was this woman wrong for the act that she had participated in? Absolutely but the men that brought her to her had violated the very law they were looking to condemn her under and Jesus wasn't about to do that and instead Jesus was more concerned about this woman before him that was broken and he gave her hope and he said you know what I don't condemn you go your way but sin no more could he have been judgmental toward her Could he have been harsh? Yeah. But instead, what did he say? Hey, don't do it again. Isn't that how we want the Lord to deal with our sins? That's how I want him to deal with me. I want to tell you, when we come to him with a broken and a contrite heart, that's exactly the type of response we get from Jesus. Tender-hearted, concerned about our well-being and our eternity and our soul. I love this passage in Isaiah 42 and verse 3. It speaks to the tenderness of Christ, and really the tender nature of God. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Now, that reed that's bent over, how easy would it be to just finish the job and break that reed? It'd be pretty easy. But what this reveals about our God is that though that reed is bent, it's misshapen, it's been beat up and bruised, the Lord can restore it. And the Lord's not just going to finish the job of breaking it, but tenderly he's going to deal with it in the way that it needs to be dealt with so that it can now become utilized again to the glory of God. Just like the smoking flax. Now, I don't know about you. I don't deal much with broken reeds, and and I don't deal with many oil lanterns and smoking flax anymore. But I came up with an illustration that I think relates to this idea. You know, when I was in kindergarten, I got to go shopping for school supplies. And every year, from kindergarten until about fourth grade, One of my favorite school supplies that I would get every year is a brand new box of crayons. Now, I think it was third grade, I got the real big box of like 90-something, and it had like a sharpener on the back. Oh, man, I thought I was awesome. All my friends at school were going to be jealous, and that was great. But up until then, I pretty much just had the 24 count. I don't know if they were ever Crayola, but, you know, I think we probably got them at Kroger or something, but... I have Crayola crayons. You know what I like about Crayola crayons? You ever smell them? Okay, good. I'm not the only one, right? There's just something about a fresh, brand new box of Crayola crayons. Am I weird now? Oh, okay, good. Y'all are with me. Okay. Well, you know... I got to kindergarten and, and we were coloring, and I, I got out my brand new box of Crayola crayons and, and I pulled out my, my favorite color. Back then it was just called blue, now it's cerulean. Okay, I'm gonna call it blue because I'm American, right? So, so I started coloring this, my picture, and you know, I, I'm pretty aggressive. With my coloring, so guess what would happen? I'd color, and and man, all of a sudden my crayon would break. So you know what I'd do? I'd raise my hand, Miss Gilliland, Miss Gilliland. Yes, Chase. My crayon broke. Get another one. You have twenty-three more. Yes, ma'am. So guess what? I'd grab Blues' cousin, blue green. And guess what I'd do? I'd start coloring. And man, I'd color aggressively trying to fit. And what would happen? I'd break that crayon. Miss Gilliland, Miss Gilliland, broke my crayon. Okay, you have 22 left. It's day one. Pace yourself. You know what I did that night? I went home and told my parents hey, dad, mom, I need new crayons. What happened to your crayons? We sent you with a brand new box. Yeah, I broke 20 of them. So I need a new box. So guess what my mom did? My dad didn't do it. My mom, guess what my mom did? She went and bought me another box of crayons. Sent me to the school the next day. Guess what? I broke about 20 of those. Because I learned if I break my crayons, I get a new box. After a while, Miss Gilliland... You know, kindergarten teachers are pretty much the wisest people on the earth, okay? Guess what Miss Gilliland had done? She had collected all the fragments of the broken crayons. And whenever I would raise my hand inevitably and say, Miss Gilliland, Miss Gilliland, I broke another crayon. After a while, guess what she did? She said, okay, Chase, you get the baggie of misfit crayons. And so I had a baggie of just broken pieces of crayons. I didn't like that. You know why? It doesn't smell the same as a fresh box of Crayola crayons. I wanted my brand new box. This is not fair. Life's hard. Right? And all these little broken pieces. What am I going to do with those? Well, Miss Gillian came and showed me. You can still color with them. And in fact, they're harder to break because <laughs> they're smaller. So, guess what? The rest of the school year, pretty much, these were my crayons. The little broken remnants of my beautiful, brand new box of Crayola crayons. Now, I can relate to that. Because our lives are full of broken pieces. We have periods in our life that are very hard. I want to tell you young people, people close to you are going to die. People close to you are going to get sick. People that you trust today, have your best interest in heart, may violate that trust and hurt you. I pray that never happens, but I want you to understand the reality of life is those things happen. And it breaks us. And our life needs healing. You know, the Bible talks about a lot of people that suffered. And I want to cover one of those people with you very quickly this evening. You probably think, oh, we're going to hear about Job, right? Because, I mean, Job had a lot and lost it all, right? And then Job's wife even told him what? You must have made the Lord really mad. Just curse God and die. Man, poor Job, right? I don't want to talk to you about Job. I actually want to talk to you about a woman in the Bible. A woman in the Bible who experienced tremendous tragedy and heartache but stands as a great testament of faith. You figure out who it is yet? We're going to talk about Naomi. You ever heard of Naomi? You know, most of the time when we think of Naomi, the only thing we think of is, well, she's Ruth's mother-in-law. And she set Ruth up with Boaz. And man, good job, Naomi. I'll tell you, Naomi was much, much more than just Ruth's mother-in-law. She was a tremendous woman. I want to tell you, this woman suffered many things that she had no control over. And I think stands as a great testament for us to learn from this evening. So who was this Naomi? In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning there in verse 1, we see that Naomi is married to a man named Elimelech. Okay? So, Brother Sammy's going to ask y'all this, I promise you. And Elimelech and Naomi, guess where they were from? They were from Bethlehem, Judah. Okay? They had two sons, Malan and Kilian, or Kilian, sorry. and Kilian, okay? There was a famine in Bethlehem, Judah. So, guess what Elimelech said? Elimelech said, We have to leave. And we're going to go to an area called Moab. So to escape the famine, that's where Naomi ended up with her husband, Elimelech. And while there, they had two sons, Malin and Killian. Now, Naomi's name translated means pleasant one or beauty or above all. It was a very popular name among the Hebrew people. Because of what it stood for. So if you want to name your child Naomi, that is a very flattering name. As it means pleasant one, beauty, or above all. So life seems to be okay other than this issue with the famine that we've had to leave God's land and God's people to go to a foreign land called Moab. But guess what happened? Verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These two sons took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Killian died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Do y'all know Murphy? Murphy has a law. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. That's kind of the state of Naomi's life right now. I want you to really think about that. She's taken from her homeland. That would be like us leaving Texas and living in Oklahoma. We're we're taken to a foreign land, okay? We don't want to leave our home country. (laughs) We want to stay in Texas. We'll talk later, okay? Okay. but she's taken to this foreign land away from her, her people, God's people, her extended family. She's there with her husband. and He dies. She becomes what? A widow. Not fair. Then her two sons make some decisions. So I want you to think about the state of this woman at this point. She's a foreigner away from God's people. She's a widow. And now both of her sons marry Moabite women. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Deuteronomy 7, and verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, okay? Verse 3. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And what had her two sons done? They've now married these two foreign Moabite wives. Do you think that was Naomi's plan? I'm going to have a husband, we're going to have a family, and and my two sons are going to marry these heathen women. Do you think that's what she had dreamed her life was going to be like after her... No. wasn't her plan at all. But that's what they did. But you know what happened ultimately was both of those sons die after they marry these Moabite women. So now, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth are all what? Widows in Moab. Guess who doesn't live in Moab? God's people. Guess whose law isn't enacted in Moab, God's law. In Moab, they probably had no concern for widows. But in God's law, were there provisions for widows to be taken care of? Absolutely. But they weren't in God's homeland, because her husband had made a decision they were going to leave for famine and live in Moab. What now? (laughs) Does that seem desperate? Does that seem like a woman who might cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm broken and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Can you relate to that? You know what Naomi decides to do? She says, I'm going home. I'm not staying in Moab any longer. I'm going back to my homeland. I'll tell you, there's a couple of reasons why she made that wise decision in just a moment. But I want you to listen to the correspondence or the the discussion she has with her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Naomi was noble, wasn't she? (coughs) Naomi is sitting there in all this despair, all this brokenness, and she says, I've got to go home but y'all need, to go back to your, y'all need to go back to your families and stay where you're from. And I appreciate your loyalty and the care you've given to me and to my sons who we've lost. And she says, I'm going to go home to God's people. You know, what did both of the daughter in laws say at the beginning? Both of them said, no, we'll go with you. Both Orpah and Ruth say, no, we're not going to go back to... We're, we're with you. We're, we're going to stay with you and help you. And so when you want to go home, we're going to go with you. Then hearing that, Naomi pleads with them again. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Because what is Naomi thinking of? She's thinking of the provision in God's law of a kinsman. Because in God's law... If a widow, her husband or a, a woman's husband died, then that widow, guess what? If there was a brother of that husband who died, guess what that brother would do? That brother would marry the widow and be able to take care of her and produce more offspring if, if it was possible. But Naomi says what? I'm too old to have a husband <laughs> I I can't go and fulfill this that you, I could then have more children that you could then marry my offspring again. It's not going to work. And she says in verse 13, uh, would you therefore wait till they were grown? That's what she's saying is you're going to let me have children again with another man. And then when they're grown, you're going to marry them. This isn't going to work. Go back to your families and I'm going home. And she said, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Notice Naomi's mindset. Why did all this happen? It was by the Lord's hand. Now, we can get very critical of her at this point and say, how dare her assign this evil to God? It could have very well been God doing that. And she could be right accurate in her, not accusation, but in her statement about this situation. Because I want you to remember, when Satan came to ask God about his servant Job, God allowed Satan to operate. Except he put limits that he couldn't take his life. And if we're going to believe in the sovereignty and the power of God, we have to understand there's a purpose behind everything that can happen. And Naomi was realizing that. Verse 15. Orpah decides, you know what, Naomi? I'll go back to my family. And Orpah kisses Naomi and Orpah departs. But guess what Ruth does? Naomi goes to and says, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Now, that's a wonderful statement that Hobby Lobby likes to put on signs so we can put in our homes as we walk in the door, in our garage, in our mudroom. Elizabeth has, I think, a sign that says this. Did you realize it was a daughter-in-law stating that to her mother-in-law? It wasn't a husband and wife pledging their everlasting devotion to one another. It was a daughter-in-law from a pagan foreign country saying, I'm devoted to you, and whoever your God is, I'll go with you and I'll serve him. Isn't that amazing? Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And we start to see this bond. You ever wonder what kind of mother-in-law Naomi was? She must have been pretty amazing. For her daughter-in-law to say, wherever you go, I'm going to go, and whatever God you serve, that's my God, and I'm, wherever you go, I'll die, I'll be buried. That's, that's my life now, I'm with you. And she's wholly devoted to Naomi. So they go back, and they go back to Bethlehem, Judah, where Naomi was from, right? Where she had left due to famine. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, notice this, the whole town was stirred because of them. Had Naomi been forgotten? Not by God's people. She was living in a foreign land thinking she's all alone. But the minute she walks back into town, everyone is stirred. Why? Because Naomi's back. The pleasant one is home. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Notice this statement. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Did she feel broken? She felt so broken that she said, I'm changing my name. <laughs> Don't call me Naomi anymore because my life doesn't reflect that. I'm, it's not pleasant. It's not above all. <laughs> call me Mara because the Lord's hand is against me. I want to stop for a moment. I want you to reflect upon that. Have you ever felt that kind of pain? Experienced that type of loss that it changed who you were in your own eyes? Naomi felt that way. Her life had been turned upside down. And when we really look at it, it wasn't anything that she did wrong. But you know what Naomi knew? She knew about the faithfulness of God. Isn't that what we're talking about this week? Because she understood and remembered a couple of things about God's law. She remembered that there could potentially be a kinsman redeemer. (laughs) That if she would just get back to God's homeland and his people, maybe there was a kinsman of Elimelech that could take her in. And if they take her, they'll take Ruth. And they'll have a new life and a new opportunity. Wouldn't that be awesome? She also remembered that, you know what? The Lord has visited Judah again, and now there's food and there's crops growing. So God has a provision in His law that when they harvest the fields, they can't take the corners and the gleanings. They have to leave those for, guess who? For the poor. So if I can just get back to the homeland, I can at least have something to eat and take care of myself. That shows us the faithful trust that Naomi had in God. Even though her life was full of calamity, and she said, the Lord's against me, she's saying, but he's still going to take care of me. His law demands it. Leviticus 19 and 9 and 10 teaches that, that when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Uh, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. She knew that. And she knew God had placed that in his law. And she was faithfully trusting in that. If I could just get back home, at least I could be taking her. And then they have that interaction with Boaz or, or Ruth does in the field. And, and Ruth comes back and reports that to Naomi. And Naomi says, okay, here's what you do. <laughs> And she instructed Ruth of how to go and properly approach Boaz. You remember the story? To go into his tent after he is drunken and and lay at his feet and uncover his feet. And if he's willing, he'll be accepting towards you. And she spends the night there in the tent. And and it's a beautiful love story, right? None of that happens without Naomi. (laughs) Naomi's faithfulness allowed her... To instruct Ruth on how to go and approach Boaz. So this woman in deep despair, a foreigner away from God's people, a widow whose sons both married Moabite women, who died, who had had now with other widows. I want you to understand, the first one was not a decision she made. She was submitting to her husband. He would have been the one to make the decision to say, we're going to Moab. Maybe she agreed with it. And maybe she said, that's the right decision. And I'm... But even if she didn't, guess what she was going to do? She was going to submit to her husband. But that was his decision to make. She became a widow. Was that her fault? That was circumstances of life. Unfortunate as they are. Both of her sons married Moab. Those were sins of her sons. Did that bring despair into her life? Both of her sons die with no male heir. That's unforeseen tragedy. And then they're bald three left as widows. Guess what? That's meaning they're destitute and alone. But I want you to understand, any of those things, did she control? Did she cause that? No. But even though she suffered and it wasn't because of her own sin... She still trusted in the faithfulness of God. And guess what? Most of the time when we suffer in this life, it's because of our own sin. Because sin has consequences. But even when we suffer and it's because of tragedy and unforeseen circumstances and decisions of other people and sins of others that do impact our life, we still have to trust in the faithfulness of God. And Naomi did that and look at the change that it makes in her life. And that brings to mind the passage in Romans chapter 8, And we know that what? For those who love God, all things work together for good. That means even the broken fragments of my life can work together for something good and wonderful when God's hand is working in it. And all of that is evidenced here with Naomi. Now, I love this quote as we consider Naomi's lamentations. You know what a lamentation is? You read the book of Lamentations written by who? The weeping prophet. That's what we call Jeremiah. <laughs> and it was really his weeping before God. He's lamenting. He's exuding his sadness out before God, getting out in words and despair. You know, Naomi did that. She said the Lord's hand was against her. She said, don't call me uh, Naomi anymore. Call me Marta. But even those statements, guess what, indicate faith. And you say, how is that possible? I read this quote in a book recently. It says, atheists and agnostics don't write psalms of lament. People of faith do. She was lamenting because she felt that God and his hand were against her But she still believed in God. (laughs) And how often do people suffer today? And when we suffer, what's the first thing we say? I don't believe in God then. You know, that never came to Naomi's heart. She said, God may be doing all this, but he's still God. I may be suffering and I may be going through tragedy and all these things, but he's still God. And he's still faithful. And there's still provision for me, So I want you to think about that the next time you're hurting inside and you're needing to pour your heart out to God. Lament. Let it out. Pour it out to him. Because in doing that, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I'm broken and you can heal me. And I can't do it on my own. Notice what the book of James says in verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Were any of those things in Naomi's 10-year plan? Or 20-year plan for her? Do y'all have five-year plans? Y'all have 10-year plans? Elizabeth and I do. And after five years, you say, well... (laughs) We had plans, but the Lord had other plans. And guess what? That's okay. It's okay to have plans and goals and vision and all those things, but understand, we're not really in control of as much as we think we are. And the Lord may have other plans. So when you're making your plan, say, if the Lord wills, this is what we're going to do. And I venture to say Naomi had that type of heart, which is why she responded in faithfulness to God. She lamented of her despair. She instructed Ruth on how to approach Boaz appropriately. Uh, The poor and the foreigner could glean from the harvest. And there was a kinsman redeemer. There was a kinsman redeemer. And that first kinsman redeemer didn't want her. (laughs) So then guess who could step up and claim Ruth and Naomi? Boaz. I want to tell you, we need to follow this same pattern You need to lament in sadness of your life without God. You need to be sorrowful for your sins. You need to be crying out to God in despair over what you've done to violate a holy, righteous, and perfect God. You need to hear the instructions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And tonight, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God without any doubt in your heart. You need to be willing to repent of your sins and say, God, I'm sorry, and from this day forward, I'm going to try my best to live for you. You need to be willing to confess that faith that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. And you need to be buried with Him in baptism so that you can arise to walk in the newness of life. And if you hear that instruction and you're sorrowful for your sin, you need to make a decision and do something. You need to realize the goodness of God that's available to you. The faithfulness that he is laying out on the table on full display for you to have in your life tonight. And you need to understand that you have the greatest kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ. Available to you. Willing to purchase you bring you into his family, into his kingdom. So what's the rest of the story of Naomi? Ruth ultimately is married to Boaz and they ultimately have a child. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Do you think Naomi ever envisioned her life working out this way? (laughs) All the tragedy, all the pain, all the suffering, all the loss. And now look at the faithfulness of God. And that caused the Lord to be exalted in Israel. That last line, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I want you to understand the full significance of that. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Messiah, the Son of God, was a descendant of who? David. Who was the son of who? Jesse. Who was the son of who? Obed. Who was the grandson of who? Naomi. Naomi's name is right there in the genealogy Of the Son of God. Verse 5 says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. There's only five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, and Ruth is one of them, and Ruth is a Moabite woman. Is there in the lineage of the Savior and the Messiah? You think that's by accident? And she wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for who? Faithful servant Naomi. I want to close with this passage Isaiah 43 and 2. You may be in a rough spot tonight in your life. You may be suffering, you may be hurting, you may be drowning. And maybe nobody knows it. Maybe you've not talked to anybody about it. I plead with you tonight, talk to the Lord about it. Talk to one of the elders here, one of the deacons. Talk to myself, talk to one of the the older women in the congregation who can help you. Don't, Don't let your laments stay sealed up inside, but cry out to God. Because he's there, whether you realize it or not. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do you believe that tonight? Is he faithful? He'll walk with you through the flood. He'll walk with you through the fire. But you've got to turn to him. And ultimately, what God is going to do is he's going to take all those broken pieces and he's going to melt them down through the refiner's fire and guess what he's going to be able to create? He's going to be able to create something brand new and marvelous. I said Elizabeth was an educator and a teacher and she loved to teach kindergarten. That's why I said kindergarten teachers are the wisest people in the world. My wife was one. You know what she would do with all the broken pieces of crayon? She'd melt them down and put them in these molds and then she'd pull them out and guess what all the kids wanted to color with? They didn't want the brand new box of Crayolas. What did they want? They wanted one of the flowers that Miss Palmer had melted down and, and created something brand new from something that was broken and tattered and in pieces. And guess what? This is what the Lord does for us. He takes the broken pieces of our life and through Jesus Christ, guess what he's able to do? He's able to create something brand new and marvelous that pleases him. You know how he does it? He does it through our obedience to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things... Are become new. You need newness tonight. (laughs) You need refreshing. You need cleansing. I want to tell you, Jesus is ready to do that work. You come broken to be mended, you come empty to be filled. We come sick, guess what? Looking for healing. And we come as sinners to be forgiven and redeemed. And that's available to you tonight if you only come as we stand and sing.